0: Radio Vermont, WDEV, takes no responsibility for the opinions or statements made by the House Calls Vermont show host or their guests. The information provided during the House Calls Vermont show is offered only as a public service and should not be used as a substitute for obtaining any professional advice from a licensed professional.
1: Our house in the middle of our street, house.
0: WDEV presents House Calls Vermont with hosts Jim Bradley and Chris West. Each week, a new topic specific to building or renovating in the Green Mountains and your phone calls. Brought to you by R.K. Miles, a third-generation family-owned business proud to be your local building material supplier. Find a location near you at rkmiles.com. By Polly Construction, For over 30 years, known for anything construction, big or small jobs, one call does it all. P-O-L-L-I-Construction.com By Ken Libby of the Stowe Area Realty Group at Keller Williams Stowe. Your trusted advisor, 802-793-2002. By Curtis Lumber, with two locations in Vermont, Williston and Burlington. Request a quote for your next project online at curtislumber.com. By Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, with locations in St. Albans, Enosburg, Swanton, Derby, and Middlesex. By Shamrock Painting, painting and custom wood finishing. Shamrockpainting.com. By Wysa Windows, high-performance passive house windows and doors. Online at w y t h e windows.com, by Matt Clark's Northern Basement Systems for all things basementy, northernnefoundations.com. Your participation today is encouraged. Call the listener line with questions at 802-244-1777 or toll free at 1-877-291-8255.
2: Now, House Calls Vermont with Jim and Chris. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Jim Bradley, here with my colleague and great friend,
1: Chris West. How's it going, everybody? We're back in the studio. We're all COVID-free at this point, or post-COVID. Post-COVID. Well, we're post-COVID. The society isn't quite there yet. We're working towards it. Welcome to our show. We're really glad to be back together in the studio. And uh, we've got some updates to bring you about things that have been, we've been talking about in the past. Um The... uh uh contract registry bill.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: Contractor registry bill. So this is something that we've been talking about for now two seasons. Yes. Um, and finally got passed by the uh, – the Both lowers, sides. Both, Both sides of the legislature. So it, – and it's going to the, the governor. And that, so right now what we're – and we spoke about this last week. Right now we're trying to get some, some – information to the governor to try to convince him to support this bill. So, Jim, why don't you give us an update?
2: Well, see, here's the biggest thing, too. Um, with this bill, this is basically a light-touch Regulation, Yes, that R word, regulation. But Chris and I have seen too often in the last 10 10 years of doing, you know, home performance assessments together and also taking calls from other contractors, other homeowners about how things went wrong. And a lot of times it wasn't because it was a nefarious uh, contractor. Although
1: sometimes it was. It was.
2: (laughs) But a lot of it is just a, a, a lack of knowledge. And so what we've been trying to do in this state, especially in trying to meet our climate change reduction goals and trying to make sure that our resources, Resources aren't wasted and that you know you can pay for something once and not again within a few years to get it fixed again we're, we're hoping that there is a way to better ed- educate our contractor base because just doing as we said before the same thing the same way for the past several decades and you're doing it incorrectly it doesn't self-correct
1: yeah in general on the job training is a great way to train someone sure. you just got to make sure the person who's training the person on the job also has this new information and right now in vermont any one of you, as listeners, without having any experience as a builder, could start a building company tomorrow, go out and start building for people with no knowledge, no insurance, and the state wouldn't even know that you were out there doing that. Sure. And that's what we're. That's why we're. We've been working for for a number of years on trying to come up with a very, very low. Uh, intrusion, but yep. you know, good way to protect the the public, and to make sure that the state knows that ha- who's in the industry. We ha- we had a call at the VBRA last year from the state mm-hmm. asking us, can we give them a list of the of the builders in the, in and, the state? And why
2: why do they want that list? Because it was when COVID was at its peak, yep. everything was shutting down. There was financial instruments. There were financial instruments out there that that contractors could take advantage of to stay in business. Because we were hearing of so many contractors saying, I just can't afford to keep going because I can't go out and work. Then they were closing down. So the state wanted to have people know. People were calling the VBRA, the Vermont Builders and Remodelers Association, to find out what can we do, what's available to us. And we realized there were so many other contractors not being reached. And so also, there are so many free op- uh, training opportunities for a contractor to get better educated around the state and at the same time then list those trainings on the website um, for the state when they're registered. And so homeowners know who to go to. I mean, this is a win-win for the the consumers. It's also a win for the the uh, the actual contractor base, and that's what we're really trying to do. And also so that we're doing great work that's going to last, not just doing something for the lowest price. And that's what's really important here. And it's not about putting the small guy out of business, because realize we're Vermont. There are so many cottage industries in Vermont where if you look at most contracting firms in the state of Vermont, it's a one to five person shop and that's it. And so that
1: we are all basically
2: small contractors.
1: Absolutely. And just remember if you're going to hire and, and this is the the uh, our, we got a call last week about it. What if I want to hire my neighbor to come and build something for me? Sure. And and the the answer is You can do that. But if you do that without any kind of contract, without any kind of known insurance in place by the person who's doing the work, you as the homeowner are liable for accidents on site.
2: And and people love the handshake agreement. I do too. That's great because you can take people at their word. However, I'll remind you, how many – Marriages started with a simple kiss that went completely awry. So the simple handshake can do the same thing. You
1: may have a good relationship with your neighborhood with your neighbor before you get the work done, but what about after? (laughs) We wanna wanna, you know, encourage these long term good relationships. And the best way to do that is protect ourselves with language and and contracts and and insurance right so what are we asking what's the ask on this this bill is
2: call right <laughs> call the governor let them know, let him know whether you support it or not and hopefully you do as a consumer as a contractor who might be listening that hey listen we've got to get both parties both ends of the agreement um, um, into this correctly protected and that if you support this I, you know, for the the sake of the resources that we use, the 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 actual public that's taking advantage,
1: saving of. relationships exactly. between neighbors. <laughs> yes, exactly.
2: You know, call in, let let the governor know where you stand on this, and do it as soon as you can this week. You yep. can even go on the website now, um, the state's website, and send the governor an email, and that would be there immediately for saying Monday morning for him.
1: So uh, we've got a, a call right now from Bob in Northfield. Bob, welcome to the show. How can we help you?
3: Yes, sir. Um, I got a question, and maybe heads up to other uh renters, landlords, homeowners. I'm in an old homestead, and I don't have ground fault plugins, yes, so being cold and plugging in extra space heaters, yes, one of the fuses wants to hum like crazy, oh boy and it doesn't trip. So I believe in myself that I need to replace that fuse.
1: Right. And... Uh and what we're talking about is not a fuse, right? Because right. just to make we, sure we understand, well, is uh, it, is it some people, be, it there, are some, right? yes. there are some, right? If you open up your electrical panel and there are those glass, round glass things yes. that you screw in and screw out.
3: No, 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 no. These are the newer ones. Circuit Circuit breakers, right. Exactly, circuit
1: breakers. So I remember doing an audit very early on when I was working with Jim, and we were um, in a basement, and we opened up the panel just to take a look at it, and Jim just, although we don't do this, regularly put the infrared camera on the panel and there were two circuits that were hot and we wouldn't have noticed it because you don't open a panel and feel the the circuits these things don't last forever Mm -hmm. at some point they need to be replaced and bob what you're basically saying is that, the humming one, that is, that is a possible fire hazard, right? So that's a very good point. Right now, people sometimes don't have enough heat in their house and they're plugging in some kind of space heater or even worse and as important, putting a combustion heater in their house and can cause carbon monoxide poisoning. So you're absolutely right. If someone, if you have an electrical heater, you're plugging that in, make sure that your system can handle it. And that you're not causing a uh, a danger to you and your family
2: is that is that bob basically what you're you're speaking about sir
3: well what as I'm saying, you know when I plug in an extra space heater, which I've got a couple in the homestead yes um this extra one I'd have to chase it's an old homestead, and the writing on the panel itself is kind of confusing, in the wire, and the wiring is kind of confusing in this old homestead, sure. That one of them that I plug into is buzzing. I know. And so if you Uh, if you if if you're basically
2: if you're plugging in multiple heaters on the same circuit, and each of those are 20 amp, but your overall circuit maybe only a 15, and that breaker's not throwing, and there's no GFI to protect either, yeah, that becomes a real fire hazard, and we don't want to do the uh, the investigation afterwards, what caused the fire, it's just better to be safe. And you're right. In, if you're in a landlord or a rental situation where you have people in those places where they're going to do something immediate, they want yep. immediate comfort, yep. especially if there's ice or there's the freezing cold coming in or whatever, and they're going to want to plug something in to get immediate relief. And if they're overloading the circuit, you're right. You got to be careful. So if you are a renter, listen up. If you're a, a, a property owner, definitely take heed and make sure that you're doing a quick investigation during this colder time of the year, and just make sure that people are, are properly aware not to overload the circuits and that your circuitry is up to date.
3: Okay, so mine is accessible, and I just want to throw it out there to other listeners that, you know, if yours is not that easy accessible, mine is up here on the first floor, and I can hear this thing buzzing and humming, but it's not
0: Tripping the breaker yeah. you it's know, not throwing a the breaker. on yep. it,
3: it pops over yep it's it's not doing that so it must be defaulty or faulty right now it needs to be replaced
1: yep that sounds exactly right um uh thank you Bob for your call um and thank you for bringing us uh up to speed on this this potential danger I would say um if you are a renter uh, there was a posting that I got from, uh, from the state the other day and from Efficiency Vermont about the requirements that landlords have in the state to provide heat for people in their houses. So, sure. there are legal requirements if you are a renter or, uh, or if you own a house and, well, in this case, it would be about, about rentals, um, and your heating system is not providing enough heat to keep the house at uh, you know, above 65 degrees. I don't know what the state rule is, um, but um, then you have the right to, to not only contact the landlord, but if the landlord does not act, to contact the state and have that investigated. And I would trust providing that extra heat is not just providing an extra jacket, sweat, <laughs> or blanket. No, so. no. There's a set <laughs> points in the house. The house should be warm. I remember when we first started doing audits, we were over in Stowe, and there was this couple who had an A-frame, by the way, one of the worst – um, types of uh, building structures to do a lot with, right? We, we can get into A-frames at some point, why I hate them. Um, but I remember very clearly that this couple, oh, they weren't renting, they had bought this house. They were unable to keep their house above 55 degrees. Yeah. So they were living in a house at 55 degrees. That is cold. Mm-hmm. Over time, that is cold. And so if you are living in a house and you are experiencing temperatures that are not in the upper 60s. I mean, the set point that we use for Passive House uh, uh, analysis of houses is 68 degrees. A lot of people like to keep their house at 70, 72 degrees. And, of course, if you're an older member of our society, um, you suffer oftentimes more from cold than otherwise. Um, when we were doing uh, analysis and building the senior living facility in Milton um, called Elm Place, uh the modeling was showing a certain rate of use at 68 degrees, but we actually had to – in order to figure out how much fuel I was going to use, we needed to put 74 in because sure. those individual apartments, uh, the, the people wanted they, – they just experienced cold differently.
2: Definitely. Well, we're coming right up on our first break uh, for the show. Um, But when we come back, we're going to dive back into the maintenance items, the preventative maintenance or maintenance deferred items. Usually, you know, I've got some interesting stories that have come up personally since uh, our (laughs) show last week. But we'll we'll be right back after the break and hope you can join us.
0: Christmas Eve then and now by Wythe Windows. Christmas Eve then. And Mama and her kerchief and I and my cap had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. Tighten up that kerchief. It's going to be a cold one. It's that nasty draft from the window that's to blame. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. Hurry! I think I see something! It's stuck! And Christmas Eve now. Look, it's Santa! What a clear, unobstructed view we get through our wife's windows. Quick, tilt it open! Hey Santa, it's Jim! Those are some good looking wife tilt and turn windows. I know! Eight locking points keep them air and watertight, and they're made in New Jersey! That's my next stop! I have a new guitar for the boss! I heard him exclaim as he drove out of sight wipe windows for all for a house cozy and tight white windows high performance passive house windows and doors online at WYTHEWindows.com.
2: welcome back everybody to house calls vermont this is jim bradley with my colleague chris west hey everybody thanks for joining us again um Rook, you know that, go ahead.
1: I just wanted to say if you want to call in, we're available here to answer your questions, 802 244 1777. And, uh, but the rest of the show we're going to be talking, uh, at least from our topic sheet. On about uh, maintenance and the things you need to do to keep your house in good shape. And the funny thing is, I'm going to choose my topics a lot more carefully. <laughs> Jim <laughs> thinks that the choosing of the topic makes things happen. <laughs> well, <laughs> well,
2: let's put it this way: usually topics find us, and everything coalesces during the course of a week or two. And it's like, oh my gosh, we must have, need to bring this to the table. Well, the, the preventative maintenance thing um, was an idea that my wife had come up with, and she said, hey, this would be a great idea for a show. And I said, uh, thank you, Michelle. By the way, there you go. <laughs> Um, with, with that, um, we started writing things up, and at first I started realizing, oh, gosh, those are some of the things I need to get to. And then last Sunday after the show, we didn't really get to dive in too much because there were some really good calls and the registry uh, contractor registry thing we did talk about. And so I thought, well, we'll do it again this week. But Sunday, I'm going to hit some of these items. Well, my gosh. Um, my Zinder air handler unit, so I have the point source ones where we have two mounted in, in different walls in the house. The Comfo Air 70. Yes, and so they'll do up to 600 square feet for an ERV, so you get the fresh ventilation, the balanced ventilation, um, fresh air. And so I had had the filter light blinking. <clears throat> Jim, change me. Yes. And for a Jim, couple, change me <laughs> to say it was a couple weeks, it was probably longer because I'll say, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. But then I finally said, Hey, let's put your money where your mouth is. And I cleaned and serviced one, changed the filters. Everything worked great. I cleaned and serviced the other, and that white light had turned to a red blinking light. Mm-hmm and so then once I turned it back on I was hoping that fault would clear and know the actual fan motor burned out because see when your filters are blocked in any of your ventilation system units or your um, actual heating systems, or system yeah and- if, if you do that and you, that's blocked it can't breathe and if it can't breathe and it can't circulate the air the, the fans the pumps everything is going to work harder and when it's doing that it puts more stress on the unit and it's life expectancy greatly diminishes so now I'm going to up having to change out that motor unit, which is going to cost me, you know, because I know how to do it. It's only going to cost me the parts, but still that's several hundred dollars that that I should not have had to spend. And then as I was going around, my son came out and said, hey, by the way, I think there's mold in my room. How could there be mold in your room? I mean, I I know how that thing is detailed and everything else. Well, after further investigation, we found out when this was actually insulated um, over 10 years ago, they missed a spot. And we didn't see it originally. And so you say, well, why didn't it show up before now? The reason being is, one, it was behind an end table, and two, as Chris and I were talking about earlier um, before the show, this has been a a different winter um, in the sense where you've had really, really cold, and then it warmed up, and then the roller coaster just kept going up and down and up and down. So those different extremes caused things to perform a little bit differently. It was
1: raining on Thursday. It was 40
2: degrees on Thursday. Exactly. So as my son and I pulled back his end table, yeah, there was a streak of black mold on the the wall and on the – the baseboard and everything else, and that's where he sleeps at night, so I said, we got to address this, so I did the remediation of it, cleaned it up, did then did an infrared camera scan, and sure enough, it was in a corner where one wall joins another, and and usually you have a lot of framing built up there, and that's exactly what happened. So in the spring, I'm going to have to open that area up, put additional spray foam in there, seal it up, and then repair the sheetrock. So see it happens to all of us, so the points of even
1: those doing their best. Even then, even here, we find life as, as Sir David Atborough would well, say. It's mold life, but it's life. But, yeah, not
3: anymore. <laughs> There's
2: been an extinction event, <laughs> thankfully. But, but with that, so the points we're going to be giving you, some of the helps, uh, that we're going to demonstrate to you and talk to you about today, Time is a consideration, too. So when do I get this done? Do I really have to do this every year? Do I have to do this every two years, every five years? But some of these are really important. In fact, you know, as we were driving along and we saw all this additional – excuse the the language, but BS out there, blowing snow, BS. We saw that out there and piling up against the sides of buildings. It dawned on me once again. We've seen this happen a lot. Usually we see it where leaves are sucked into an air intake, whether it's a ventilation unit. Or a um, combustion appliance where it has an air intake for outside that's too close to the ground, the leaves can get sucked up into there. And usually you have a rodent screen. Well, the rodent screen prevents the rodents from getting in, and it also stops the leaves from getting in. But it also makes it easy for the leaves to plug that but also what happens when you have snow blow up against the side of a building it will pile up quickly and it can block some of those so it's not a bad idea today if you have the time take a walk if you have one of those type of of elements on the outside of your house take a look around see if the snow's a bit high and just clear it away so everything can breathe on its own, effectively. But, you know, when we're looking at this, if we – when Chris and I go up to a house or come up to a house, we are going to do a first an initial walk around the outside and just start looking at things.
1: Right. And, and uh, if you're interested in seeing – I mean we're going to be uh, doing an audit later today and I'll be taking video of that and hopefully the the owner will be okay with us sharing sure. that. But on our YouTube channel, that is House Calls Vermont, youtube.com slash c slash – um, YouTube I mean house calls Vermont mm-hmm. uh, or just do a search on uh, YouTube for house calls Vermont We have something called um uh audit eavesdropping. Mm-hmm. And we have a process. One of the first things we do is the walk around. So I don't think I have a walk around right now during a, a high snow event, event. sure. but uh, we'll be doing one of those later today. So you can take a look at that after we, we get that up. But the walk around is just a, a, a very simple visual inspection of what we see when walking. Now we're, we're trained. So we pick up on signs that other people may not see, Mm -hmm. may not notice, but you would notice if your, uh, sealed combustion, uh, intake was covered with snow. So yep. there are certain things that you can notice very clearly if you have icicles. If you have yeah, icicles. If, you're,
2: if you're not an icicle farmer, but you've got a bumper crop,
1: <laughs> there's a reason why. Is there an icicle farmer? <laughs> Boy, I want to be too.
2: But you know, if we, if we came up to the house, maybe not today, but if you saw it today after the snow event we just had yesterday, um, and you're seeing great snow coverage in many areas and some per- places at a foot to two feet, but then all of a sudden in the center area of the roof or next to a chimney, all of a sudden it's just bare roof. And you may not see it today since we just got a lot of snow yesterday, but within the next few days, if you because we're still going to have cold temperatures coming up next week. And if you're seeing a lot of this snow remain except for in different patches and maybe sometimes Every 16 inches or two yeah, feet, right. it, it's a linear line of where it's melting quicker. That's telling you that something's going on. But let's say there is no snow. We would step up to a house or walk up to a house, and when we look at the, the condition of the roof, yep. you know, if if you see green pom um, poms growing on the shingles, either get a goat or look at the fact that you're, you know, those, those, that mold that grows or the, the moss. moss that grows, yeah, excuse or me, or lichen or both. They serve as sponges and they hold water. And when you, when we walk on roofs and touch that, it's full of water. And the problem with that is that can back up under the shingles and then get into the roof and cause degradation of the sheathing and also drips inside the attic. And so that's something you definitely want to watch out for. The newer shingles, they're impregnated basically with, um, z- zinc. Uh, a zinc formulation, so it'll inhibit that growth. But the older roofs, if you start to see a lot of that, it's telling you it's probably time to look at getting the roof looked at and and possibly
1: replaced. It's also a sign that your roof is not getting a lot of sunlight. You'll often notice on houses that have moss growing on them that there's a large tree growing over the roof or shading the roof because none of those uh, those Creatures like to live in direct sunlight. Moss likes to live in a a cool place without sunlight. So that's something else to look at. What do you have hanging over the roof that might be changing the roof's ability to act the way it is? I mean, a shingle roof is supposed to have sunlight hit it. That's a part of the design.
2: Definitely. And we're also going to look for loose shingles or missing shingles because that or cupped shingles. If they start curling or whatever, that's just telling you that the life expectancy is diminishing. But you could have a newer roof and have a blow off of a shingle. And if you see bare sheathing or your underlayment, you want to go ahead and get that, uh, you know, checked out and definitely sealed up. Otherwise you're going to have water intrusion.
1: Yeah. Um, so, um, one of the things that we've seen in a couple of houses through the years is cupping of shingles. Uh, that are over a roof that's a cathedral roof, right? Mm-hmm. If you have a – so there, we've talked about this a number of times. You have cold roofs and you have hot roofs or, or warm roofs. The cold roofs is where you have an attic flat and then you have a uh, an attic that's well-vented. We call it a cold roof is because the underside of the sheathing is cold. What you're going to have there is not a very big problem with – what we call um, short cycling of the seasons, right? Um, what that means is that um, the house and the heating of the house is not creating uh, what the shingles would see as a micro summer, right? So a, a cold roof doesn't have that. But if you have a warm roof, uh, that means that you have from the inside or the outside, you've got sheetrock or tongue and groove or whatever as your inside treatment. Then you've got your your uh, roof framing, uh, 2 by 2 eight, two by 10, two by 12. We've seen two by six as well. And then you have sheathing and, and the shingles on top and in between you have insulation. Well, that, when you heat your house, you're actually heating that roof a little bit. And what that can do over time is it can shorten the lifespan of the roof. It can make the shingles not, it will make the shingles experience far more summer and winter, uh, you know, warmings and coolings than it would under normal conditions. So what we recommend, not that every house should be retrofit to have this, but when you're building a new house or you're doing a deep energy retrofit to a house or replacing your shingles anyway – um, we recommend adding a venting channel between that top sheathing and the, the shingles, right? And that allows for the shingles to be thermally separate mm-hmm. from that heating and cooling cycle like that cathedral ceilings can exper- experience, and that will extend the, the life of the shingles.
2: So, you know, the roof is the ma- the major important point that we're going to look at first on the exterior of the house because if it falls down, that's the first place it's going to hit. But what other elements are on top of roofs? If you can see it from the ground, and we're not advocating that everybody climbs up on the roof. Please don't. No, but if you can view from the ground, even some of the vent stacks that come out where your your uh, your plumbing stacks come out of the roof, there's roof boots. If Sometimes you can see from the ground if they're splitting. Um, you could take a pair of binoculars and look with that too and just yep. see if you see some splits because that's where water can come in. You also want to look at a chimney. If you have one coming up through the roof on the side of the building, look at the mortar joints. Whether it's a block chimney, a brick chimney, or something like that, see if the the mortar is still in good repair. If you're starting to see things fall apart, it's time to get that repair because you can usually repoint the block and fill in those areas um, and have that done professionally, usually. But if you let it go... Then more water gets in, freezes, expands, and pops those things out. And then you can have a much more expensive repair later. If you have a shingle cap on top, you want to make sure the wind
1: hasn't blown it off halfway. Yep, yep. Oftentimes, we also see ridge vents that um, sure. have been put up. I, I was working on a house just this last week where uh, the ridge vent was this type of uh, um, uh, uh, material that can be squeezed down. Sure. Uh, that was, that's, you can still buy those ridge vents right now. We sure. don't recommend them. They're not great. Um, they don't allow for maintaining the breathing that a ridge vent exactly. is supposed to be doing. So. Um, make sure that you, your ridge vent is, is venting properly by just a visual inspection from the ground. If you look up and you see uh, like a one-inch, very dark uh, gap between the top of the shingles and the top of the cap shingles. And
2: it's consistent.
1: And it's consistent, then you have probably a pretty good ridge vent.
2: Yep. And so with that, with your chimney, some people will say, well, I don't use that chimney anymore. The reality is, though, it's probably still connected to the interior of your home and It's a great place if it's not capped for vermin, birds, (laughs) squirrels, whatever. Once they can get down there, they get into the house. And if you get that happening, you don't want that either. And if it's still a a disconnected chimney but functional or uh, connected, then it can still um, allow for air from inside the house to get out. And then it's still
1: acting as a chimney. It's still taking part of the stack effect, letting warm air exit the house and then that cold air re-infiltrates down in the basement area. So once again, it's a
2: visual inspection. But with that, once we look at these areas, we're going to be looking at the trim on the house, the siding of the house, because even along the fascias or or along the roof, you have trim that's called fascia trim, eave trim, rake trim. Um, When you have that, if it's starting to rot and you can see gaps in it, that usually is a place where water or other... Bees, you know, insects, um, rodents. Once again, can get into the roof assembly, and that can wreak havoc.
1: Bats. We were at a house bats. not so long ago yeah. that bats had crawled into a small opening. Yeah. Also, uh, there are places on your your house uh, where the roof meets another element, usually a dormer or another t- part of the house, or like a garage on the side of the house. Right, and those are often not flashed right. And if they're not flashed right, you can see – or, or the, the siding is brought too close down. Touching the, the roof where it shouldn't. Right. You should have at least a two-inch gap between a, a roof attaching to a wall and the wall itself and the siding of the wall. Not only that, but behind there, you should have flashing that goes up at least – Oh, behind that, you want yeah, 18 inches up 18 at a minimum. 18 inches, right.
2: And a lot of times, all they use is a two-and-a-half-inch by two-and-a-half-inch L piece of flashing and call it good – problem is water does back up in yeah. through capillary action through windblown events, and it gets into the sheathing and causes rot. And with that, you also want to look at the fact that you can see pretty quickly that if you have wood siding or something like that that's too close to the roof, you'll see the cut end where it starts to split or check, as we call it. It starts to rot prematurely. Yep. And if it's doing that, it's acting like a sponge as well for moisture, and that's bringing it into the wall system. So some things... There's more things that you need to keep uh, an eye on. You also want to look at the condition of the house. There was a house we did uh, for a home performance audit on a few months back. And I just remember driving up and looking at the condition of the siding where the siding was cupping. So curling, if you will, pulling nails, nails were missing. The siding was coming loose. And so if that's your weather barrier and it's not in good your condition. Your
1: primary, <laughs> your primary weather barrier. Yes.
2: Um, cause a lot of people don't have the underlayment and no. or the properly detailed weather resistant barrier behind the siding. And so if your siding's giving way along your window trim, along the, the corners or just in the field, if you, if you will, of the, uh, the actual, uh, building plane then you're going to have water penetration usually and it's a great place unfortunately for insects to get in once again from the fake ladybugs to the you know hornets and and such like that and so if it gets behind there that
1: causes more damage yeah when we're when we're putting on siding or shingles we start from the bottom and we build them up overlapping so that the water unless it's air driven will be Uh, will shed. Well, in this particular house, what we saw was that there were gaps large enough that the water as it was coming down was being diverted towards the house, which is something we need to be very, very careful of.
2: So Chris, you know, sometimes we'll go up to a building and we'll see things like peeling paint or on the north side of the building, especially, in fact, unfortunately, there's a person who lives really close to me, um, that that on the north side of their house, my wife and I at breakfast this morning were just commenting about this, is there's so much mold
1: on the wood siding, there's issues behind the scenes. So what about that? So um, when you, I remember very clearly that one house we did in Jericho from the 1790s where the the owner kept on complaining about uh, peeling paint. And we were like, well, okay, what is the assembly? What's behind that? Mm-hmm. Because if you have peeling paint, paint can peel because it has too much sun on it. That happens. But the majority of peeling paint that we've seen is because the wood that the paint is adhered to is wet, and it's just not going to keep that adhesion to the paint, and you're going to get paint peeling. Because and,
2: the water vapor is pushing out. Pushing it's trying out.
1: to dry. And, and you cannot – and when you – so – If you have paint and a painted surface and uh, the fibers of the wood, because wood is just these long, thin straws, if that gets full of water, it's going to expand, and as that expands, it breaks the bond to the paint. So if you have a house that you are getting painted regularly because the paint won't stay on, it keeps peeling, and you're calling the painter again and say, look, it's less than five years. I need you to come back and – no, no. First call someone like Jim and I to come out and do a moisture analysis on the wood to make sure that the problem isn't – W- the wood is getting wet the, this particular house, the wood was getting wet because there was a renovation done when they did the renovation. They put xPS or EPS behind the this the clapboards and then just put the clapboards right on top of that, which left no potential for drying on the back side of this wood, so the wood was just absorbing 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 and could it dry out to the outside? Well, no, because it was painted, and the paint was blocking that moisture from drying out so that 's why when that Assembly was rebuilt. We told them to put in what we call a rain screen, which is a minimum of a three quarter inch gap between the actual outside weather resistant barrier, Tyvek, Typar, whatever, and where you're putting your clappers on. And that leaves amazing drying potential and will stop any kind of paint peeling because of moisture. And so you
2: may say, well, gosh, I have vinyl siding. It's not going to show these things. Well, it'll show something a little bit different. A lot of times we'll we'll uh, arrive at the house and look at the siding, we'll see what we call tea staining coming out of the weep holes of the siding. And people say, where is that coming from? Well, that's moisture. But if it's tea staining or if it's that brownish color, it's interacting with your sheathing. So you've got moisture Interacting with the type of sheathing that turns into vertical mulch really quickly. You don't want that situation happening and that's when the vinyl is holding that moisture against. So that's something to keep in mind. And if you have vinyl siding and you see pieces are disconnecting because of wind or expansion and contraction, you want to make sure you get that whole barrier properly contiguous or put back into place effectively. But, you know, the next thing that I have to say is, you know, we're looking at gutters. So if we're looking up along the side of the house, and gutters are supposed to be used to keep rain from, yes, dripping off the ends of the roof drastically and and eroding the soil at the edge of the house and causing moisture issues. splashback, we call that, Splashback, and also discoloring the side of the building. But they're only as effective... As they're allowed to operate correctly. So if you have a gutter that's releasing from the side of the eave, you know, because it just has not been maintained, it's not attached appropriately, or it's not properly pitched to the downspout. You know, I've seen it a lot of times where the gutter's smiling. So the center of a long piece of gutter, the middle is the lowest spot. That's not going to get to the end and drain effectively. Um, But then if we also see um, problems where you have greenery growing out of the top of the gutters, where you may want to be a backyard a hydroponic uh, you know, <laughs> grower, but it's usually because n- you're not cleaning out the gutters on a regular basis, or you've got a tennis ball stuck right. in the top of the gutter, and it's creating uh, or inhibiting um, the water from draining down the downspout. So you want to make sure the
1: gutter is attached appropriately,
2: it's cleaned out. Sometimes gutter covers are a
1: good. Right, I was going to say leaf savers, uh, one of these uh, ads I see regularly yes. On TV. Um, not a bad product. Um, I'm not going to sell it. I'm not uh, here to sell the product, but maintaining your gutter so that it's doing the right work is a great a great idea. I have seen recently a number of houses where they forego gutters. Yes. And what they do is for the first foot and a half coming out from the ground, they'll put some kind of stone. And the reason they put that stone there is to reduce the splashback. So splashback is where rainwater or melting snow or any type of moisture will fall down off of the drip edge of the the eave end, and that will fall down and hit the ground and Flash back onto the wood of the house that can cause lots of issues that 's one of the reasons why Jim and I are always saying you need at least six inches between the ground level and the beginning of the wood part of your structure, and we prefer 8 or 10 or even 12 inches to reduce any kind of accidental splashback.
2: And with the gutter, the last thing I'll say on this is, you know, the downspouts themselves, make sure that they're attached appropriately to the side of the house but also to the kick out at the bottom so that the water's not just coming down in a focal point right at the the base of the gutter, that it actually has that L extension that comes at least 3 feet away from the house and is on a downward slope away from the house. Because that's another thing that we look at, Chris, is the drainage around the house. You know, after decades of being in the house, or sometimes even if it wasn't graded appropriately originally, um, you could have a, a... Declination, if you will, of the soil where it's actually pointing water towards the house. And you don't want that. No. You, you you want the clearance that Chris was talking about, but from that point of that six to 10 inches of clearance um, from the uh, the ground to the actual where the siding or the trim starts, you want that as a positive slope. The ground away should from the slope house. away from, exactly. from the Exactly. Yep, yep. So the water drains appropriately. Um, that will keep a lot of bulk water from getting into the house.
1: And reduce a lot of issues with moisture in your ground. Yes. One of the reasons that we have, have deflection which is when the walls push in is because the the ground next to the house is either not draining well your perimeter drain isn't working well or per- Perimeter drain? What's that? Do I have one of those? <laughs> I had a, I had an architect speaking with me the other day, and they were saying, well, we're going to put a French drain in this project. I said, so you're putting the drain inside the basement? I said, they said, no, 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 outside. I said, well, that's not a French drain. They said, I, maybe a regionalism. I was talking to someone yep. from a different part of the country, and I was like, I don't want to tell you that's not a French drain, but in my part of the country, a French drain is something you put in the basement on the inside of the wall. Where, Otherwise, where in other,
2: yeah, in other places, but, they may say it's only like a foot or two. Below grade, but right. that's also you can call that a curtain, curtain drain, drain right. you know, or something like that. So Chris is completely right with the with the actual drainage around the house. If you have a perimeter drain, and yet the end of the drain where it daylight's out in the yard is above, right, is right. above, or it's blocked right. because no one's making sure it runs. You know, the, a lot of these drains now they have cleanouts where you can actually put a garden hose in and then fill it with water and see where it comes out, and you right. may learn, oh, I got to keep that from being blocked if I ever hope to have my perimeter drain working appropriately to. To evacuate the water from around the house so it doesn't start with a lot of hydraulic pressure pushing into the
1: basement and causing possible moisture issues inside, or frost heaves. If if your ground is is uh, moist and we get a, a not a lot of snow on the ground and we get a serious freeze, like a minus twenty freeze, that can cause deflection if you have hollow core. CMUs. I mean, one of the things that we've been talking about in this whole um, refurbishment, this uh, weatherization bill that's been in front of the state house, um, mm-hmm. is uh, is deferred uh, maintenance, right? Um, there, uh, we were talking with Dwight, Dwight DeCosta in January. He came on and he was saying one of the things we've got a a bucket over here uh, when we're doing weatherization work, which is specifically for fixing the house to the minimum amount that can be done because sure. of deferred maintenance. So yes. these items of things that if you take a look around a house at least you can get a catalog of the things that you need to keep an eye on and maybe fix those as you have the funds to do that
2: certainly and one of the things that's really important too is where we were looking at the things on the outside of the house is we also want to look at possible issues that can cause moisture challenges be pathways for insects and rodents to get in things like that if you if you get a lot of trees Near the perimeter of your house and the branches, over, yeah. Yeah, the branches overhang and they touch the, the, the actual house. That's where squirrels, that's where birds, that's where, you know, birds could fly over anyway, but they could, you know, also just walk right across. But they can also be a pathway for carpenter ants to, mm. to actually just walk across the branch into your house. And I had an experience with that and I had to actually take down 14 trees around the perimeter of my house. There's plenty more left because they were actually touching it and then allowing the carpenter ants to get in and it was causing a lot of other damage. And so it's really important just to observe once again what's going on with the house what's happening i've also observed cable lines power lines where i've been up on the ladder replacing um, trim and i just said oh my gosh look Watch all these ants just walk single file down that, that cable line into the gable vent going directly into the house. And so that's a big problem.
1: And so, you got to remember that carpenter ants don't eat wood. No. Uh, they actually just chew it up to create houses for themselves. It's, a, it's a, they're, they're just trying to make a nest. So one of the things that they need is for that wood to be moist. So you may you may get a visit from carpenter ants, but they're not going to stay if they can't get some moist wood to eat.
2: Yeah, definitely, because I want an easy, nesting material. And guess what is an easy, nesting material like they in my would. house? Well, spray foam. Yep, also, spray yep. foam insulation. And now I know that I'm not the only one because I've found it in other people's houses. So you have to be preventative. Cut those pathways of travel for these these critters from getting inside your house so you don't have bigger issues.
1: And reduce moisture. Make sure you don't have any moisture intrusion because they need moisture in any of those scenarios.
2: And with that, if you do have a, a tree that's overhanging and touching your roof, that's adding moisture to that assembly. If you have shrubs or bushes that are right up next to your house and touching your house, that's another pathway for them to get in the critters, but also for it doesn't allow the house to dry appropriately. So you want to stand off. So trim those bushes as they're close to your house to prevent, you know, to allow for airflow and things to dry appropriately. But what about the septic tank, Chris? A lot of times you just say, if I flush and it works, I don't care. That's what I think.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I'm with Jim on this. Uh, I have a septic tank. I have a, a leach field and uh, – my system doesn't back up, so I figure it's working fine. Well, I don't, I don't actually follow Jim's ru- uh, Jim's got a rule, regulation here, a rule about uh, getting your septic tank pumped. I don't do it every year. I do it every two years, but I sure. do have uh, a company uh, come out and pump it once every couple of years. What that allows them to do is not only to pump it and to see what's going on in the tank, uh, but to make sure that things are flowing right and that you're not, that they, they can ana- analyze, and I hate to be a little gross, but the difference between the, the the water separation in the solids which is what the septic tank is there to do
2: and you also you know a lot of people their septic tank what goes into that septic tank for some you have a garbage disposal oh and, boy yeah not a good idea uh, in fact people ask when we're building new homes hey can I get a garbage disposal are you on septic yes no and we also have a composting rule in Vermont where you're not supposed to be putting things down the drain anyway um, but with that you also want to make sure your gray water what's coming out of your house when you do laundry you know you have a you know bleach in there detergent. Suffolk- Yes, yeah. and so when those,
1: is just a word for soap, and
2: when that gets into your septic tank, the natural bacteria usually die, and that bacteria is what helps break down the solids and keeps things working appropriately. So it may not be a bad idea to add it, um, an additive. It's one's called Ridex, I know of Ridex, yeah. that actually will um, allow for the bacteria to grow back, but that would have to be done on a regular basis. Otherwise, things will back up, and there's there's one I know of where It's a multi-unit housing development, and there's the lowest house – on that circuit. And guess what? When the neighborhood septic backs up, it comes right up out of their basement shower. Yeah. So we've gotten- Don't put showers in your basement is the first no. rule there. And but... <laughs> don't buy the lowest house
1: on the loop. <laughs> Have backflow preventers on all uh, drains going out of the house. Yep.
2: yep, exactly. So speaking of the basement, Chris, yep. we, we're going inside the house now. We can go in the basement. When the first thing I hear Chris say, say is the nose, knows. The nose knows. You're gonna be able to smell very quickly. Are there mildew issues, mold issues? Moisture issues. You're just going to know because you're you're tuned to it. Now, if you live there all the time, you may not smell it. Exactly. But somebody new into that area, you're going to recognize things. And then, you, so you go look at the sources. Um, we're going to look at the condition of the walls, whether it's a rubble foundation, a block foundation, a poured concrete, or some other material. We're going to see are things in good repairable or good serviceable condition, or are there cracks? And in those cracks, is there movement in the wall? Is are there water issues with moisture penetration? Um, are the if if it's concrete block, do you have actually um, like an efflorescence or a dusting or salting on the um, block itself and the, and the block is a little bit crumbly? That means it's, it's you know, not in good condition and you it's may want to look much at too it.
1: much water intrusion in that, that building,
2: yep. And with the, the rubble foundation, Chris, what do we find there? I mean a lot of times with well, vermin –
1: so, rubble foundations are what most people like to call colloquially a stone foundation. It's more romantic. It's very romantic. <laughs> but rubble is a better, a better descriptor. Um, these are, uh, up until the 1930s, you'll find how, r- houses with rubble walls. These are two foot thick walls that basically, um, are pointed, if they're anything, and that pointing is usually done better on the inside than the outside, because in order to repoint an outside rubble wall, you've got to dig the basement out, you've got to wash it down, and that's usually more work than it's worth. However, from a building science point of view, it'd be better to stop the water intrusion at the outside than to let that come in and push against the inside Uh, uh, you know, mortar. But oftentimes it's just not feasible to do that. So check that. Make sure that you don't have moisture coming through that wall. If you question whether or not you have moisture coming through that wall, there's a very simple test. You take a a clear piece of plastic and you tape it well, uh, like a one foot square, tape that well on all sides to the wall and come back in a number of hours. If you see water droplets on the inside of, condensation on the inside of that plastic, then you have water intrusion on that wall.
2: But you know, a lot of a lot of basements have sump pumps, and do we check those sump pumps? An easy check for your sump pump to make sure it's working. One is it plugged in. Two, um, the float that's on that, just like you have a float in your toilet, and you you lift up on that because the water level has come up. Uh, that's what it's simulating. It'll should cause it to turn that's on. Right. So that's an easy way to t- test most sump pumps. But usually a sump pump is in a depression in the floor, or a bucket, or you know, there's there's more elegant ways of of installing these. But you can pour five gallons of water in there. That should be enough to trigger it, and you can one make sure it comes on and it actually pumps the water out. Yep. So something really good to look for. But once we're inside the house too, we're gonna going to be looking for some of the health and safety devices when it comes to smoke detectors, CO detectors. Are they in the house? Are they faded yellow and definitely no longer fresh? <laughs> Usually, though, <clears throat> that means that they're not going to be as Viable, so usually you want to replace your your smoke detectors. Now it's at a ten year threshold for the new ones that are out. When you buy new, because they have a lithium battery in there, but some of the more recent ones, it was like a five year threshold. But you still should change the batteries that come with those, like regular Duracell, Energizer, whatever. Not not sponsoring anybody, but those batteries on a, a yearly basis, just to make sure they're functional. But you want to keep those vacuumed out too, yep. because a lot of dust can block the sensors and it may not trigger or sound when you need it to. But
1: and if you're if you're your uh, carbon monoxide or your smoke meter is going off on a regular basis. Oh, listen, just tear it off the wall.
2: Listen to it. No, no, tear it off the wall. That's so annoying. I don't. Every time I cook, it goes off when I put the stove on. Well, there's a reason why.
1: Yeah, you need a better bath hood, uh, range hood, I mean. Or, or even check how the, 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 actual, the actual range universe. is burning. Sure, yeah, yeah sure exactly. Because uh, one of the, the tests that we do when we do an energy audit, a home assessment, is – uh, if you have a gas range, or a propane range, uh, whether or not the oven is, is burning that properly, not flooding the house with carbon monoxide.
2: Yep, and with that, we also you should have a fire extinguisher in the house. A what? A A fire fire extinguisher. extinguisher. Make sure it's a serviceable one that it's still charged. Because hey, things happen, and you want something standing by, especially near a combustion appliance or near the uh, the uh, kitchen, so you have a way to extinguish and not have a bigger event.
1: I'm a big fan personally of the carbon dioxide ones, just because they don't leave this powder all over the place if you use it. The 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 other ones, do you use a powder? Just takes a bunch. It's hard to clean up. Just make sure that you get an A, B, C yes. one and not just an A. So that, that has to do with the types of fires you can put out. A is wood. B is um uh, combustibles, and C is chemicals. So you want to make sure that it can do all of those. So get an ABC uh, fire extinguisher. They're not expensive, and you can get them at your local hardware store.
2: Now, yeah. another maintenance item that's really, really important, you usually should have these checked out before the heating season begins, not when it, you start, it gets cold, and all sudden you have a no-heat call, yeah. but you want to go ahead and check out because your... Because they charge you through the nose for well, no-heat calls. true, and they can also be uncomfortable if you've got freezing conditions and no heat. But with that, your, your first Furnaces, your boilers, your combustion, your heating equipment, you want to make sure you're checking out. With propane and natural gas, usually those can be serviced on an every-other-year basis. An oil-fired, a wood-fired, or a pellet should be serviced on a yearly basis, Um, something to really watch out for. But also the filters on the forced hot air units, a furnace, uh, you want to make sure you're changing those out on a regular basis. And it's a good idea when you change that filter, put the date that it's you on actually the change, yeah, yeah, you write it on there with black sharpie or whatever and say, okay, this is, or a red it.
1: sharpie or Any a blue color. sharpie. Yes, exactly.
2: <laughs> non sharpie specific, non sharpie specific, but, but you can look at that and that will be a reminder when you go down again and, and check it. Hey, if it, if you changed it out in January and it's, you know, July, yeah, you probably should have changed that out a little bit earlier. So you don't have my situation where you have to replace the fan now <laughs> because it worked too hard and it burned out.
1: That's right. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> when you're, when you're working with mini splits, Those filters, they're very simple. You just pop the top of the mini split head open. You pull them out. Those should be cleaned at a minimum every month. The manufacturer actually says every two weeks. I do it every month. You just pull them out, go to the shower, shower them down, knock them out, put them back in. Um, but you, you don't want to be breathing this recirculated air through these dirty filters. Um, also, uh, if you have a, a recirculating range hood, yes. they have a filter in them. They're usually silver colored and they get very full of grease. You just pull that out, go soak it in. So not m-
2: while you're cooking. Cause you don't want to add no. a little bit of flavor in
1: there. Uh, uh, <laughs> Um, The way to clean those, if they are the cleanable type, is you boil some water and you put some soap in that water and you just soak it in boiling hot soapy water. Just let it sit in there, shake it around, then you can rinse it off and knock it off and use that again.
2: And, you know, when it comes to refrigerators, you know, what's really important to maintain with them are the coils. On the back, yeah. On the back and yep. underneath. Yep. And they make special brushes to allow you to clean the extra dust off of there because if there's too much dust on there, air can't circulate. It can't allow it to to basically dissipate the heat the way it needs to. And once again, it causes it to work harder. Yep. And thus, it shortens the length of time. So, hey, when you clean it up behind your refrigerator, you might find your lost wedding ring or some loose change or in our case Nerf darts you know we'll find some of those
1: well, My kids stopped playing with Nerf Nerf like 8 years ago I'm still but you still do darts come on everywhere
2: <laughs> no but that's another good thing to look for with your dishwashers it's an easy fix if you've ever heard of the product called CLR that's uh, basically calcium lime and rust uh, it basically gets rid of it um, you can run some through your dishwasher just pour it in there run a cycle and then run another one to rinse it and it's going to cause the calcification or some some of the other things that could cause it to be blocked, um, the drain lines and the supply lines, and allows it to work more effectively. Yeah, we have if- a
1: lot of hard water here in Vermont, and that's that's going to cause calcification much faster than otherwise.
2: And that same thing can be used when you're looking at shower heads. You know, If you take a shower head, and this is what we like to do, we'll take a larger bowl, we'll put the CLR in there, we'll soak the shower head in overnight, and then we rinse it out in the morning, but save the CLR, because it's not bad, and then be able to use it for the next shower head. And so you can actually go through this. It's an easier thing. You're going to find the shower head operates more effectively after that. But you also want to take with your shower head and undo it from the, the whip, if it's one of the handheld units, or at the top where it attaches to the pipe. And Behind there, there's usually a catch for sediment and rust and things of that nature. You want to clean that out, and then yep. you're going to find out, oh, I actually have better water supply. You know, so that's an easy maintenance item.
1: So you don't. I just want to say you don't have to use CLR. You can use vinegar. You might have to leave it in there longer, but it. it I mean, it, you just need an, a, a very low level acid to to uh, dissolve those calciums.
2: One of the last things
1: Chris we wanted to talk about was the dryers because uh, a lot of times this gets
2: ignored and this can cause fires. And Chris, so what would you recommend here?
1: So uh, one of the things that we love pointing out when we're going around a house, we don't love it because it's 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 not fun to point out. Deferred maintenance, but if you're on the outside, one of the things you can see from the outside of the house is whether or not that dryer vent is clogged or not. Uh, Dryer vents, uh, dryers rip off small pieces of the of the fabric of the material and blow them through the dryer vent to the outside. The dryer duct itself should be cleaned or replaced on a regular basis, and the dryer vent needs to be checked to make sure that it's not clogged. That's one of the places where you can have. Oh, uh, if you have a, a, a a uh, uh, flexible dryer duct, and that runs through a cold space. You may very well be creating a situation where you get, cond- where you will get condensation inside that duct. Those ducts are not well suited for taking that moisture that's condensing in these ducts and moving it to the outside. And uh, I just installed two of these. You have, uh, you'd be much better to replace that flexible vent duct with a rigid vent duct, uh, which is angled at an angle to bring any condensing moisture to the outside.
2: And so with that, you know, the thing about a dryer vent that Chris mentioned, I've seen so many different types of of units on the outside walls. And what happens when that dust moves through, it actually blocks the flapper valve from closing because it's on a hinge. And that can stay open. You think, well, what's the big deal there? Once again, what can get in? Yeah. You know, if the air can get out, things can get in. So you want to make sure you have a rodent screen, prevent birds from getting in. I've seen that and also other types of things. We had one where we saw a bunch of mice inside and then they got trapped and then didn't smell too good in the house. Yeah. Afterwards. So you want to make sure you're keeping those things clean too. It smells like cooked rat. Now, you know with this we are up on the end of the show there this is though this has been a comprehensive list it's not a completely exhaustive list and so if you want more information on what you could possibly do for simple maintenance items on your homes things to look out for there are, are a host of different checklists with time intervals of when you should be doing this work usually it's seasonally um, as we're heading into a season or out of a season um, they're gonna make rec- certain recommendations but you can download those nice PDF formats and you can also have some that upload to your phone to give you a reminder, but you can also contact us at our website and ask us. Hey, what are some of those links that you can you can point me yeah, to? Yeah,
1: that's at at housecallsvt@gmail.com. And remember, I'll just say my last thing for the week is that that uh, that diary, right? I've been asking you to keep about. When are you uncomfortable in your house? When are you noticing issues? Do you have icicles? Uh, do you have mold? Uh, is there someone getting sick regularly with respiratory issues? Keep a, keep a diary about these things so you can track them, and then we might be able to, if you do have an issue, uh, relate those uh, entries to a problem that we find.
2: Talking about being uncomfortable in the house, Chris, I hope that's not when our show comes on that people are feeling <laughs>
1: uncomfortable.
2: But, but also, Chris, you had a great uh, experience. With one of our sponsors this week, independent because you don't—it wasn't because you're on the show that you're using them, but RK Miles.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was—I uh, was, I needed to get some insulation delivered for uh, for a job. I, I contacted another company; they were unable to deliver because their driver said that they could not find a bridge that could take 25,000 pounds and I called RK Miles they gave me a great price had this stuff there on time and were able to find a route that did not include a 25,000 pound limited bridge so thank you RK Miles for that and um, yeah, give them your business people they're they're, they're doing good work
2: so next week's show we're going to be talking to Lou Castle from Page and Campbell Insurance and why you say insurance because there's so many questions when it comes to insurance from a builder standpoint um, from a business standpoint from a homeowner standpoint especially in our inflationary times when the crazy real estate market is inflating home values, when that happens you don't want to be caught in a situation where if there is a catastrophic unfortunate you're underinsured and then you're saying oh but I'm covered, no you're not not for the replacement value of the home so we're going to have him on, please call in with your questions, think about those during the course of the week and get those queued up for next week and we'll definitely like having you there but other than that, this is House Calls from On I'm Jim Bradley, I'm Chris Weston, until next week thank you for joining us
0: house calls vermont has been brought to you by rk miles a third generation family-owned business proud to be your local building material supplier find a location near you at rkmiles.com by holly construction for over 30 years known for anything construction big or small job one call does it all That's Construction.com. By Ken Libby of the Stowe Area Realty Group at Keller Williams Stowe, your trusted advisor at 802-793-2002. By Curtis Lumber, with two locations in Vermont, Williston and Burlington. Request a quote for your next project online at CurtisLumber.com. By Sticks and Stuff, Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, with locations in St. Albans, Enosburg, Swanton, Derby, and Middlesex. By Shamrock Painting, Shamrock Painting, painting and custom wood finishing, shamrockpainting.com. By Matt Clark's Northern Basement System, for all things basementing northernnefoundations.com. Buy Wythe Windows? High-performance passive house windows and doors. Find them online at wythewindows.com. And be sure to join us next Saturday at 1230 during the noon hour for House Calls Vermont right here on WDEV FM and AM.